I do want to mention that uh, I had asked Jordan to make a copy for everyone of last week's Sunday School message, but he uh, was busy helping me at the church this week a lot because uh, I didn't have anyone else. So uh, he didn't get it done, but hopefully he'll have that by next Sunday. But I really want, even if you heard last Sunday's Sunday School, I really want everybody to listen to it again because I really feel like the Lord put a big piece of his heart. You know, one of the things I try to do in teaching is I try to teach for the people who read their Bible a lot. What I mean by that is um, there are certain ways of looking at the Bible that that have grown up in the last 150 years that can cause you to get less out of your Bible. And all of us have been affected by them. They're part of the evangelical and Pentecostal and charismatic subculture. And so any tools that will help you see the Bible more accurately and more clearly, I want to give you. And uh, later in this message, I'm going to be actually mentioning a a message that John did that if you haven't listened to three or four times, I really would encourage you to. There's a sign-up sheet in the back. Uh, You know, we'd like if you gave a little extra to the offering, but the truth of the matter is CDs are cheap. They just cost Jordan a lot of time. And uh, the church, uh, very little. I mean, really, they're less than a buck to produce them in terms of the actual CD and label. But, of course, there's a lot of equipment that goes into it. But we don't care if you pay for them or not, in other words. Uh, We want you to hear them. And John did about a 15, 16-part series called uh, Finding Christ in the Old Testament, or he was keys to how to understand how to look for Christ and find him in the Old Testament. And part zero of that, I'm going to be mentioning later today. I got one already, uh, but I'll take that for the second service if I can. Um, part zero of that was called uh, Elemental Principles of Christ or something like that, or what was it? Elemental Christology, and uh, Christology refers to the study of Christ in a systematic way. And the, the point that he makes that, there, that all through the Old Testament, the people of God were looking for the Lord to come in Emmanuel, God to be with us, the Lord to come in, and be with his people. And they were looking for Mashiach, or Mashiach, however you say it, uh, which in the Greek is Christos, Christ, and uh, uh, what he makes clear is that Jesus, God made manifest that that Christ, uh, Jesus, was both Lord and Christ. The, the very Lord and Christ that they that they crucified was the one they had been looking for. And if you get a hold of that, it'll cause you to get more out of every page of your Bible. And that's uh, really last week when we talked about gift, grace words and gift words. If you get a hold of just how extravagant, uh, over-the-top, lavish God's gifts and grace are, it'll change your walk with him. And uh, I uh, don't usually use personal illustrations, but I felt the best example I could find was uh, what we called at our house the Great Shirt Christmas at one time. And uh, I think God is like that to us. He wants to give you so many gifts and blessings and graces that if, as, you, as you seek him, 
it gets to the point where you got to stop somewhere. Like we, at the Great Church Christmas, we had so many presents, that's the, the joke in our family, that we all got too tired and we all went to sleep without opening the rest of the gifts because there was just too many that year to finish opening them all. And that's really how God is. I mean, you know, as you're reading the word, as you're seeking him, as you're spending time with him, unfortunately, you got to stop because you do need to get good grades in school or you do need to get your job. You do have to pay attention to the kids. But I really encourage you to enjoy the richness of God. So that's two CDs I'm hoping. Uh, maybe, Jordan, you can make up more of the elemental Christology ones and put them on the back table. For next week too. All right, it's also online, and let's get the one from last week online as soon as possible. Work with Jordan on that. So, yeah, you these are podcasts on our website, so you can listen to them that way, and you can download them to your MP3 or whatever, right? Or your all those kind of things. All right, let's get started. I'm going to actually start with a verse that's not in your outline. Everyone have an outline. It's very important that we have everyone have an outline to follow. So, anyone who does not have an outline that they're following, because you won't be able to keep up if you don't. Boy, we're very behind schedule, so uh, let's let's get rolling. We, we've tried to do our best to chase people out of the basement, but uh, there's coffee down there, uh, and there's just me up here. So uh, <laughs> not, not, not as good of an attraction. So here we go. Uh, 1 Corinthians 2, I wish I could read the whole chapter. I'm not going to. Uh, it, I'm just going to read verse 12 and 13 where he says, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know freely uh, the things freely given to us by God, uh, which is kind of what we talked about last week, which things we also speak, not in words taught in human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. Now, today's message is going to be a little intellectual for some. I'm going to actually look at nine Greek words and tell you what they mean. And, and I'm going to, we're going to go through 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 8 or so, 1 through 11, in, uh, in much more detail than you probably ever have before, but especially verses 4, 5, and 6. Uh, our theme verses for this series are, are that we need to, impl uh, each one has gifts, 1, Corinthians, 1 Peter 4, 10. And that's repeated over and over again in 1 Corinthians 12. Every, everyone fights with the idea, gee, I don't have gifts. I you know, the so-and-so is more gifted. Everyone, God gives gifts from all the categories we're going to look at. And he wants you to employ them. That's a big problem. There's a very big unemployment problem in the uh, body of Christ concerning spiritual gifts. The unemployment rate is much too high when it comes to using our gifts in the body of Christ to serve one another. And that's the, 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 that's the uh, purpose of why we want to use them to serve. So uh, Roman numeral two on your outline is the 13 chapters we'll be doing. Today is chapter three. Um, a review of chapters one and two. We got properly oriented by understanding that when we say things like Joe has the gift of evangelism, Susan has the gift of prophecy, Barb has the gift of love, that that's not very clear because love is actually a commandment and, and is a result of fruit of abiding in, in Christ and growing in the character. It's not, in a, in a sense, all things are gifts, but in, in a more, more, uh, more definitive way, it'd be better to understand love is a fruit and a uh, character quality. Uh, 
how an evangelism is a gift from the, the category that we're going to start looking at categories today is a category of service gifts and prophecy uh, can actually be a, a prophet is a service gift, but one who prophesies is a charismatic gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at those kind of things today. We looked at four helpful gift care categories, the general gifts that, that in a sense everyone partakes of, even non-Christians. God is creator. He causes his reign to reign on the righteous and the unrighteous. He gives them life. God made man of the dust of the earth, and he breathed into him the spirit of God. Even the spirit of God is giving people who hate him life and good things. Isn't that amazing? Those who are running from God, those who uh, disown God, those who are actively hating his kingdom, uh, God gives very good things to them every day. How much more shall he freely give us all things? It's Paul's argument of, of those who he's given the gift of life, which is the second category, redemption gifts. The gifts of great salvation, the gifts of regeneration of new life in Christ. And then there's fruits, which are used three ways biblically. We'll look at all three of those ways in detail in chapter four next week. And we'll talk about how to grow in the, in the fruits of of uh, those three categories of fruit. And today uh, we're going to start kind of a journey into uh, what we're going to spend weeks five through 11 or so doing, and that's looking at three church categories, three, three categories of gifts that are given to the corporate body of Christ. They're actually given individually to members of the body of Christ for the corporate body of Christ, ongoing mission and ministry and its impact and its, and its edification and so forth. So last week we looked at uh, a number of New Testament words at the bottom of page one is the most important three of the ones we covered last week. And then if you flip over, we'll get started on this week's. And that is, uh, we didn't get to the last one on the list last week, and that was by design, because it, it's a good segue into what we're going to talk this week. Uh, we're, the word charisma, which we get charismata from, is a gift of divine favor. It's a grace or empowerment which one receives without any merit uh, of, the, of their own. Remember when we, when we did the grace series, we talked about grace. Half of the definition of grace is unmerited favor, and that's, what gets, that's unfortunately what gets taught in Christianity today is the half definition of unmerited favor. But it's way more than that. It's God recreating in you a new heart and new desires and new power and new motivations. It's God empowering you to become Christ-like, to do his will, to drive back the kingdom of darkness, to increase the kingdom of light. Uh, it's, it's all that God uh, wants to give us because he enjoys partnering with us in the gospel and, and in extending the kingdom of God. He doesn't need us to do that. He's chosen to, to, to extend his kingdom through us because it's to the praise, the greater praise of the glory of his grace. If God did it direct, that would be not as impressive is if he used a sinful guy like me. And that's really why God, God takes you as a lost, broken, messed up, uh, wrongly directed, wrongly motivated, uh, addicted, whatever, all kind, we come into the kingdom with all kinds of problems. And he makes you the vessel for his glory and his grace. Isn't that amazing? And he, and he does all that he does through the body of Christ. 
he chooses not to, to work directly, although he does at times. I mean, there's all kind of testimonies, for instance, right now throughout the world of Muslims that are having dreams about Jesus or whatever. God, you know, apprehended Paul in a very direct way. But 90-some percent of the time, God works through his people because that show we have, like Paul said, we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. It's just more amazing. As your pastor, I know most of you where you started. I know what you struggle with, different things. And I'm just rejoiced that God uses us despite ourselves, doesn't he? Isn't that amazing? Uh, and he continues to sanctify us so that we become a, a, a better representation of his nature and of his wisdom, of his knowledge, of his glory. We become more like him as we go and more, therefore more effective. As we grow in knowledge and wisdom and grace and power, all these things make our ministry, uh, uh, which is just the continuation of his ministry, more effective. You don't really have any ministry in and of yourself. The body of Christ is called to continue the ministry of Christ in the gospel as he began to do in the Acts of the Apostles. The Acts of the Apostles, as we call it, is really the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ through the apostles in the early church, which will continue the same until the earth is filled with his glory as a precursor to his return. He won't return read Psalm 110, until the earth is filled with the glory of God as the waters cover the seas. Awesome. All right. That was no extra charge, by the way. All right. So let's look. Charisma, a divine favor, grace, empowerment. Uh, you know, I just want you to see that it's much more than just favor. It's empowerment. Now, this word is not used exclusively of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. It depends on the context. It's actually used in several ways, but the two most important are listed in your notes. A, his free bestowments on sinners, as in Romans 6, 23, uh, the wages of sin is death and the free gift of God, the charisma of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. It's a free gift. It does require unwrapping and it does require some assembly as you go, but it's free. Uh, we, un we misunderstand free in America, probably too much welfare state, to mean passive and lazy and not involved, and that's not what free is. Free is, ca calls you to be very involved in receiving it. But it's always initiated by him, and, and he opens your eyes to want to receive it in the first place. And that's true actually of all his gifts. All right. So also it's um, charisma is used of his endowments on believers. That is grace denoting extraordinary spiritual miraculous powers, empowering uh, Christians to serve the church due to the power of divine grace that operates in their lives through the person of the Holy Spirit. Charisma is always associated with the Holy Spirit in, when it's been talked about in that way. As in 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 11 that we're going to look at today. Now, with that in mind, I, I'm just going to quickly read us some uh, passages out of 1 Corinthians 12. The ones I'm skipping, uh, we will look at in detail in this series, so don't I'm not neglecting 
verses 8, 9, and 10. But verses 8, 9, and 10 list the nine charismas of the Holy Spirit that are called the nine gifts of the Spirit, usually in English. And we will look at each of those in detail in chapters um, 10 and 11 of this series. Okay, so I'm skipping those for today, but uh, I'm going to give you a little bit of what the Greek says in those in those places. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, uh, now what I've done in, in this passage is I've pasted the Greek words that we're going to be looking at below in, in the reading. So you can always keep going. As we talk about each word, go back up and look at them. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, pneumaticas, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware or ignorant or uninformed. Some translations say, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is curios, that is the Lord God, except by the Holy Spirit, pneuma. We get pneumatic machinery from that word. Now, the reason I leave verse 2 and 3 in it is because the focus of demonic attack upon the church is always to blind the church to the to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, the necessity of the Holy Spirit, because God does everything that he does by his Holy Spirit. Without the experience and power of spiritual gifts, you cannot really attain to spiritual fruit without being led by the Spirit in various situations. We don't think of the Spirit as wanting to give us wisdom for sales, but he got or wisdom for coding, or wisdom for what studying or whatever. But the Holy Spirit wants to to fellowship with you, and the love of God has been poured out through the Holy Spirit who indwells us, and He wants to give us wisdom. In fact, I've been, I think I will digress to do this. I've been thinking, waiting to share this testimony. You know, many of you know I hurt my back very badly in 1975. And it has uh, been the biggest problem, not the biggest problem, I, I'm the biggest problem. But, <laughs> but it has been a big problem in addition to my own sinful nature. And uh, I'm the problem. But, uh, <laughs> but in addition to that, I had this huge problem with my back all these years. And uh um, you know, unfortunately, the state of medical knowledge at the time actually made it worse because it was the old idea was to rest it and don't strain it and don't don't ever exercise it and all that kind of stuff in the 70s and the 80s and so forth. And uh, by, you know, by the 90s, I was in real trouble to the point where it would go out so bad I couldn't even it, it was excruciating pain beyond what you can even stand. And uh, it was good because it caused me to study some excruciating comes from the same root word as crucifix or cause. And it did cause me to read some things about a medical view of what Christ went through on the cross. And what I went through on my back, he went through in every one of his extremities at the same time. Incredible. And uh, he did it voluntarily. So, um, but, you know, it's just been this uh, crazy thing. And I went to a... Uh, two different physical, three different physical therapists over the years and learned different exercises, but then I got MRIs and, and I went to different surgeons and the bottom line was uh, no one could think, could really believes they could cure it by surgery for sure. Uh, it's kind of a 60% chance, but it, there's a 20% chance it'd be worse, so it's just not worth the risk. And uh, 
they all, all these surgeons kept telling me what I would tell them, well, I do the physical therapy exercises, but it really aggravates it. And they would all say, uh, don't do those exercises. Just sit in a recliner. Well, that's not good. As you know, I'm a little fat to begin with, and sitting in a recliner is not like a good life counsel. Uh, so, in, as you know, I had an episode in April where it went out. Uh, John Gray helped me a lot through that time. My wife, of course, Sam. Uh, Sam was what a champion. He actually got up in the middle of the night and helped me. It was just an incredible, terrible time, and I couldn't walk for five weeks and so forth. And then as I started to recover, I started doing the exercises. And as I got to the point where they, it really started aggravating it, I just was praying. And uh, it wasn't an earthquake. It wasn't a bolt of lightning. But it was a clear, small impression from the Holy Spirit that I just felt I should try to press through the pain and take the exercises to another level and see if that works. I mean, it's to the point where I'm going to have to do surgery uh, if if something doesn't work anyway, I might as well try that. And I did. And I, I it's been amazing. My back is the best it's been since I was 18 years old. And I'm 57 years old. I'll be 57 in December. And it's and it's been because, I like yesterday, I, I did my back exercises for two and a half hours. I do them twice a week. And it's just, it's changed my whole life. So, and it was just an impression from the Holy Spirit. See, we don't think of the Holy Spirit as, as doing those kind of things. But I, I really sense this is the Holy Spirit, just as much as when I was walking by this church building in 2003, and there were two cars and two men in the parking lot, and I sensed the Holy Spirit saying, one of those is a pastor and one's a realtor. They're going to put up this church for sale. Go home and get your finances together and buy this building. Now, when you get impressions from the Holy Spirit, don't base your whole life on them without moving forward with counsel and other things. I did other things to confirm that that was the Lord. I first went and talked to my wife, who I thought would say, I thought you quit smoking pot in 1974 or something like that. <laughs> or what the heck have you been smoking? But uh, no, she thought it was the Lord and so forth. So I'm not saying you don't check out what you sense the Holy Spirit, but I'm saying you need the Holy Spirit for your, for your nursing job. You need the Holy Spirit for whatever you do. You need the Holy Spirit to be a better mother and a better father and a better roommate. You do. So anyway, getting back on track here, I, that's, I just really wanted to say that. That is so important. There is so much attack against the Holy Spirit because without the active impressions of the Holy Spirit, without gifts of knowledge, gifts of wisdom, uh, discerning of spirits, without prophecies, all we have is a theoretical abstraction. And our Christianity is that we believe in certain principles. But there's no power in it. And it's, it's devastating American Christianity. Believe me, the reason I ask people to really go through five Bible studies with me on the baptism in the Holy Spirit is because I know there's attack against it. And I can open your eyes to the importance of it because God gave me a gift to do that really thoroughly. There's uh, at least five former cessationists sitting in our pews who speak in tongues today, even though in some cases it took six months of this uh, 
I just finished a Bible study with a Chinese guy this week who had been, you know, just taught all against it and so forth. And he's totally like, I totally know this is of God and I totally need it. You need to be baptized in the spirit. Uh, you can occasionally be used of God in spiritual gifts without being baptized in the spirit because you do receive the spirit when you're born again. But you need a greater release of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the will of God for your life. So, all right, let's keep going. Uh, verse 4 through and, go, and following is what we really want to get to today, and I'm, I'm going to do it. So I uh, probably am going to go over a little bit, but you know, that's all your all fault for staying down in the basement too long. Uh, it's not my fault. <laughs> now, there are varieties, uh, uh, which is diuresis of gifts, charismas, but the same pneuma, spirit. There are varieties, uh, that is diuresis, of ministries, diaconized, but the same curios, Lord. And there are varieties of, that is diuresis again, of effects. So there's three different kinds of varieties here. Uh, but the same God, Theos, who works all things in all persons, but to each one, every person in the body of Christ is given the manifestation Phanerosis, I forget how to say some of these words, for the common good. But one in the same pneuma works all things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. And verse 11 is after he lists the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in verse 8, 9, and 10. Verse 11 is specifically referring to verses 7, where it says the manifestation of the Spirit. It's not talking about, verse 11 is not talking about uh, the other categories of gifts. It's specifically talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit as listed in, ver in, chat in verses 8, 9, and 10 that we'll look at later in this series. Now, with that in mind, let's go through some of these. Pneumaticos, we get pneumatic machinery from that. It always connotes the, the ideas of invisibility of power. It does not occur in the Septuagint, that is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. That is very important, nor in the Gospels. This is very important for you to understand because remember how Peter talked about the promise is for you and your children. And Jesus said, don't leave Jerusalem until you receive the promise of the father. It specifically refers to being baptized in the Holy Spirit with a release of tongues and other spiritual gifts. Be uh, And it's never referred to before Pentecost. This, this word is not used in the Bible until after Acts 2. And it's talking about a, a more powerful, widely... See, the Holy Spirit did fill some people in, the, in God's church in the Old Testament. Elijah, Moses, some people had extraordinary gifts of the Spirit. And seven of the nine gifts of the Spirit are experienced. But they were seldom... They were only experienced by a few people and seldom... In comparison to what starts to happen in Acts 2, where the whole church is to get this kind of power, uh, two new gifts come on the scenes with it called tongues and interpretation of tongues. The other seven were in the Old Testament and in the ministry of Christ. But starting in Acts 2, all nine gifts of the Spirit, including the seven that we see in the Old Testament and the, and the seven we see in, in Christ's ministry, are widely distributed among all God's people after that. The average Christian, that's what Peter says in Acts 2. This is what Joel promised. This is this special promise. This is the better covenant that Jeremiah was talking about in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. 
This is for every, every one of you. This is a fulfillment of Moses' prophecy when they, when they in, were jealous of, and they said, Moses, there are 70 of the other elders. The Spirit of God has, has uh, gone through you and spread himself out to 70 other elders, and they're prophesying. And, they, and Aaron and these people were jealous, and Moses prophesied, and he said, I would that all the Lord's people would be prophets. God's New Testament will is for every Christian to be a prophet. And every Christian to prophesy, and there's abundant grace to do that. What, what hinders the work of the Spirit is a spirit of unbelief that began in our culture with the Enlightenment and really hinders our whole culture, including the church. Just like Jesus could not do many miracles, even Jesus, it says, could not do many miracles in his hometown because of their unbelief. Likewise, we see less than God wants to do because of our unbelief. And we as a church have to pray this off. We have to break the spirit of unbelief, the spirit of doubt. We have to do what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, 1, pursue earnestly spiritual gifts. See, there's this whole new third wave thing that's happened since the megachurches emerged in the 80s. It used to be just there were cessationists that were against the Holy Spirit, thought the Holy Spirit died with the apostles and, and, and had the spirit of what the Pharisees have, which is really where cessationism comes from. It's a pharisaical thing. It's, there's no, whenever you see cessationism, you won't see much depth of understanding of the sin nature. Uh, you, you won't see much expectation of the power of God in the kingdom and so forth. There's, it's a, it's a, when God himself was standing in their very midst, they said, oh, we believe in miracles as long as they were in the past with Moses and Elijah. That cessationists today say, we believe in miracles as long as they're in, kept in the past with the apostles. It's the same thing that blinded the Pharisees. But a whole new thing has come on the church since the 80s which is basically, oh, we believe in spiritual gifts. We just don't think we should ever think about them, talk about them, or pursue them. That is not biblical, and it's not going to get the job done in a culture that's being run over by paganism. I didn't mean to preach anything, but I do have a license to preach, so it's probably okay. Um, so it always connotes power uh, in an after-Pentecost sense. There's two numerous ways to, but it's, it's not just about used about spiritual gifts, but it's about spiritual men. Paul is, Paul is almost incredulous when he uses this word earlier in 1 Corinthians when he says, I could not speak to you as to spiritual men, but as to natural men. You're, 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 you live like regular human beings. Our expectations of what it means to be a Christian are so, have been so lowered in our culture that we need to cry out desperately for the grace of God. We're not, honestly, our church is not that radical. Our church is not that impassioned and on fire for God. We need the Holy Spirit to come on Grace Christian Fellowship. That's what the, why I've called these every other Friday night worships. And I, I beg of you, cry out to God until you become a spiritual person in the New Testament way don't compare yourself with the Christians around us. Compare yourself with the New Testament. It's the only, it's the only valid way to look at it. All right, the word pneuma is usually referred, is, is, uh, means spirit. It can be used of humans, but in this context, it's used of the third person of the Trinity. You have a pneuma, you have a spirit. And when, in uh, John 3, 
when Jesus says the wind blows where it wishes, he uses pneuma. But in terms of spiritual gifts, they are gifts from the, tri the, from the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, co-equal, co-eternal, uh, as we say in the creeds every week. Uh, from the, it proceeds from the Father and the Son, who together with the Father and Son is worshipped and glorified. Right? That Holy Spirit. Uh, he sometimes... Uh, referred to in a way which emphasizes that he's personal in his character, and he's sometimes referred to in a way which emphasizes his power. The Greek word dunamis is usually associated with that, which we get dynamic or dynamite from. You're supposed to be a dynamo as a Christian. When was the last time someone had a riot and said, these people who've come, uh, have, come have turned the whole world upside down have come here also? <laughs> Now, uh, he's never used as a depersonalized force, by the way. Then we want to move to, to uh, a very important word here, diuresis, which it means a division or a distribution, a distinction, a difference. And it's used only three times in the New Testament, and it's used in verses 4, 5, and 6 of chapter 12, 12 because it's a distinction deriving from a different distribution to, a di to different di persons. What we're going to see is some of these gifts come from, come from the Holy Spirit, come from the Lord, some come from the Lord Jesus Christ, and come, some come from God the Father and his representation of the whole Trinity and, and the fact that the whole Trinity uh, participated in creation. Charisma, we see D above. In this case, uh, though in 1 Corinthians 12, it's, it's distinctly supernatural manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And we've already said those nine manifestations are listed in verse 7 through 10. Diakonai, this is a very important word. So notice that in verse uh, 4, it says there are this variety, these distinct distributions of charismas, of, of Holy Spirit gifts, but the same Spirit. They come from the Holy Spirit. But in verse 4, five he says there are these distinct different distributions driving from different persons of diakonai which we get the word deacon from and they refer to the to jesus christ as lord in first in ephesians 4 it says that christ when he rose took captive captives and he gave gifts to men and the gifts that he gave to men he said you know when they when the, to his opposition, behold, I'm going to send you apostles and prophets, and some of them you will kill, etc. Right? So, G, this is referring to the Lord Jesus Christ because he was the perfect apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher, helps, and administrations. There are seven gifts of of uh, service, and Jesus represented them all. He washed his disciples' feet to show the highest gift is helps and administrations. It's an interesting thing that the Anglicans do, that uh, whenever, when anyone is ordained into the ministry, they first are ordained as a deacon. And no matter what position they become, pastor, uh, uh, bishop, I've been invited to a friend of mine's ordination as a bishop coming up, whatever... whatever uh, ministry they attain to they are always a deacon first the reason we don't use the word senior pastor around here i'm the senior minister in the sense that i hope people understand i'm the senior servant 
I'm the guy who comes here at 10 o'clock at night to clean up the sanctuary so we can have church on Sunday. You know, whatever, I, I want to wash your, your feet to whatever it takes to move us forward. I'm first and foremost a servant. And I hope you'll see yourself that way too, because that's the key to, to really being coming effective in Christ. Service ministries, especially uh, ones who execute the commands of others. Do you know in most countries, like in England, they have the ministry, we have the, what do we have, department of this and department of that. We, unfortunately, we, we really miss something by not using the correct English words in our culture. The ministry of this and that is what they have in England. They have that in Kenya, the ministry of this and that. Why is that important? Because Paul says that, that governors are supposed to be ministers. There's, I saw a PBS special about how, uh, how, how uh, both parties go to Washington today to become famous, sell books, and become very wealthy. And, and, uh, and both all the, the congressmen, everybody in the cabinet, they become extremely wealthy. They've lost the vision to serve except themselves. That's important. And these come, it's used in the New Testament of the offices of Moses, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, elders, and deacons, by the way. You can find it used as in the curios. Hey, we're getting through this. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, curios is properly an adjective signifying having power, curios. However, Jesus used it uh, as having authority in a noun sense, and it's and it uh, it's variously translated in the New Testament: Lord, Master, Owner, Sir. It's a title of wide significance, occurring in each book of the New Testament except Titus and the Epistles of John. However, after Thomas, in John, sorry, John twenty twenty eight, after he puts his hand, you know, after he says, "I won't." Believe lest I put my hand in his side and I touch his wounds and so forth. And Jesus appears to Thomas and, he's, and he says, be not unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas's eyes are totally open and he falls down and worships. And he says, my curios and my theos. Be now, this word curios is never used again of anyone except God or the Lord Jesus in the New Testament after that point. And it's, if you don't understand, you know, there's this whole atheistic nonsense that goes on anymore. Dan Brown and all kinds of people who should be smart enough to know better but aren't for some reason. Because they're blind, I guess. I don't know how you could be so deceived. It, it, you know, if you read the New Testament, you would understand that Jesus being called Lord starts during the Gospels but it's the only title they really use for him after, I mean, and it's the main title they use for him after the resurrection. And they are Hebrews. They, are, they have been raised in a culture that says there is only one God and thou shall have no other gods besides me and you shall make no graven images. They, you shouldn't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. They took that so seriously that they didn't use the name of the Tetragrammaton, the YHWH, which we translate Yahweh sometimes. They wouldn't say YHWH, the Tetragrammaton, because they considered, they said no one could say that word and not use it in an unworthy way. 
we would be we would be blaspheming. We think that that swearing is to hit yourself with a finger and use God's name, which it is, but it's much bigger than that. It's to use God's name in an unworthy way to not live what you say you are. To call yourself by the name of Christos and not live it. And we all are guilty of that to one degree or another. That's why we take weekly communion. That's why we confess our sins to one another. That's why we seek grace. That's why we need an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we always will this side of heaven. Now, that was, it's one of the great proofs of, you know, there's all these proofs of of the deity of Jesus. There's many. But the fact that Hebrew guys were calling him Lord right away in the Gospels, and especially after the Gospels, that's what got them in trouble with the Roman Empire. There, There was only one accusation. There were lots of accusations. They believed that the Christians were cannibals because they were eating somebody's body and drinking their blood. Uh, the Christians were really hated because they liberated uh, the status of women. Women were considered slaves to be used by their husband for sexual favors and nothing else. And they, and they had no more status in the Roman Empire than a cow or anything. And Jesus talked to the woman at the well. That was radical. That was a world-changing event. And Jesus' followers said, there is, there is neither male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, yes, there was, there's differences of offices and functions, but there's not any difference in the Bible of worth or value between men and women or between any kind of race. And the New Testament Christians invaded the Roman Empire with that. If we could ever get actually integrated churches, we would conquer America in no time at all. Until then, we'll never make any progress. Actual integrated churches would be the most powerful weapon because of that. They were killed because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. That's the whole, the whole reason they were killed. They wouldn't say Caesar is curious. That was the only charge against them. There were lots of rumors and accusations and reasons people disliked them, but officially they were only... They were only prosecuted from the time of Nero, 64 A.D., until the, until the Edict of Constantine in 315 A.D. During that period of 250 years, they were killed and killed and killed because they wouldn't say Caesar is Lord. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Tell that to the people in Washington. Uh, the next word, energema. Uh, by the way, uh, that's that. If you want to get a better pi- picture of what I'm talking about with the Jesus is Lord thing, please listen to John, John's tape, Elemental Christology, where God has manifested Him as both Lord and Christ. Hmm. I want to cry when I think about that. It, 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 that will help you interpret every page of your Bible better. We think of Jesus as my personal Lord for my personal sanctification purposes. That's what we mostly focus on in our, in our Christian thinking and what we think of sanctification and growth. We're users of God and his church. 
we don't get it at all. Jesus is Lord and he's building the kingdom and his kingdom is expressed through his church. And you can't find who you are called to be until you lose yourself and gain him through gaining his church and his spirit and his word. If you cut any of those out, you'll always feel like you don't belong somewhere. You'll never understand how to be a sojourner and an alien on this earth. See, you got to wrestle with this. You know what? You don't belong. You don't fit in. And you got to get in there. There's nowhere. You don't fit in your natural family anymore. You don't fit in to your neighbors. You don't fit into the culture. The only place you can fit in is in the Holy of Holies, worshiping him in his word, in his spirit, and laying your life down missionally with accountability and, and yokes that, that control you to, to, to be used more greater. See, an oxen has a lot of power, but until it comes under the oak, it can't bear any fruit. It just goes wherever it thinks is a good place to go. But when you, when you really start to, to, to get integrated into a, a missional community, your life is set free. You'll never belong on this earth. You'll just belong in a certain sense. All right, gotta, gotta hurry. Energema is the thing wrought, the effect, or the operation. It's used in 1 Corinthians 12, 6, and 10. Uh, in verse 10, it's because it says there are effects, there, there are energemitas of, of miracles, workings of power, that is. And, it, and it's a word that ties back to God and his creative. Now, there, he doesn't specifically say God the Father, and that's kind of a New Testament thing. It does refer to God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But uh, these gifts are listed in, in, in uh, Romans 12, verses 3 through 8. And they're the creativity gifts that God wove into you. They're called gifts of motivation. And we'll look at those in... Uh, Chapters 5 and 6. Uh, of course, the gifts of Christ that in, in terms of service that we are talking about, we will look at those in uh, chapters 8 and 9. Okay? Everyone following me here? Uh, last word, theos, we know, I hope, theology. Uh, it, it can be used in a small sense like Jesus says, uh, or Paul, Paul talks about the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. Jesus doesn't say God. He says the ruler of this world. I'm, I'm, and it's Paul that's in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Paul says the God, small g. He uses the word theos in that context in the sense of Roman deities, in the sense of a God that's not really a God. Sometimes that word is used, in other words, of gods that are no gods at all, as Paul talks about in several places, 1 Corinthians 8 and so forth. But uh, normally it's used of the Godhead, the Trinity. It's used in the New Testament, specifically of all three members of the Trinity. Uh, and in this particular instance, in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 6, is it? Yeah, it's, it's actually used of God, Father, and Son in the sense that he, is, that he caused, that he spoke and the world was created. And John 1 brings out that nothing was created apart from him. All things were created through him. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created in you 
specific gifts. And we'll look at that. Phenerosis means a manifestation. People talk about the manifest presence of God and, and that kind of thing. It's only used two times in the New Testament. Uh, and one is just in the concept, concept of how we live before the world that we manifest uh, to every man's conscience, the fragrance of God, and so forth. But in the 1 Corinthians 12, it's used of it, it, as a segue into talking about the nine uh, charismatas of the pneumas, that is, the manifestations of the Spirit. What, what the Holy Spirit does is, he, is, this is very important. Christianity is an incarnational faith. All the other religions of the world are theoretical and abstract. What made Christianity so radical, why Gnosticism had to come along and try to knock it out, why Islam had to come along and try to knock it out, because Christianity said God invaded the earth in a physical body, and your physical body is not evil. Your whole being is fallen and evil, but God is going to God redeems you spiritually, uh, solically, and physically, and therefore He's redeeming all of creation back to that which He said it's very good. We are to take dominion in the whole world and restore all of creation to the glory of God. That is the goal of the church. This idea of retreating and, and oh my God, we're going to get beat up and the Antichrist is going to get us and there'll only be a few. Will there be faith in the earth? And all this stuff was born in modern times and it's an aberration. And it's caused the church to become impotent, wimpy, effeminate. 69% of people who go to church in America are women. Because men don't want a God that can't conquer in this time period. I'd rather watch football. At least they're conquering something. <laughs> right? Thank God for hockey and football because they're the best metaphors of, in modern times of the church. Go out and hit somebody in Jesus' name. <laughs> uh, do it spiritually, of course. <laughs> take, take dominion. Whatever your, whatever your job is, take charge there. Bring righteousness, peace, joy, and the power of the Holy Spirit to the atmosphere around you. That's what the New Testament is telling us to do. To bring the presence, the manifest presence of God. If you're going to be a student, be the best of students. Anything else is unscriptural. We had, I'm actually re thinking about reading Frankie Schaefer's book right now because I'm just so upset. It's called Addicted to Mediocrity. Ask God to set you free from mediocrity. We are supposed to be the head and not the tail. Now, I don't think you can get straight A's overnight if you were kind of a undisciplined, unstudied, and so forth. You know, I first got straight B's, and then I got some A's, then I got more A's, you know. But wherever you're called to be, take dominion. Be the answer. Be the most important person at your place of employment. All right, so 
hopefully you understand where I'm going with this and how we're going to tie these different words into three categories of gifts. However, next week we're going to look at three categories of fruit. We're going to spend one week on that because uh, it's very important that we have gifts and fruit growing in our lives. Amen.